You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Radio. You're listening across the Real Presence Radio Network. I am your host today, Nathan Sather, joining you from our studio here in Fargo, North Dakota, where the weather is gorgeous and we're very anxious and looking forward to springtime. Um, before we get into this segment, though, I would like to start us off at the top of this hour with another prayer as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this next hour that you're going to give us with uh, some wonderful priests from uh, South Dakota. And we ask you to bless the work that they're doing and the work that they do to promote your life and your love uh, throughout their entire area. Again, we ask you to bless our listeners through this hour. Uh, May this hour be exactly what you want it to do and keep us open and docile to the movements of the Holy Spirit so that whatever this is, is exactly what you want it to be and exactly the way you want it to be. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in this segment, we are joined by Father Robert Woolweber from the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Uh, Again, our friends down to the south. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the fear of the Lord and exactly what that means. And I'll I'll begin by uh, welcoming you, Father, to Real Presence Radio. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Yeah, and just as as a heads up, I think there's a little bit of providence here. Uh, My brother's birthday is coming up here uh, in a few weeks, and uh, he has uh, since passed away. But this was a topic of conversation that he and I uh, had many times uh, he definitely hated this idea of the fear of the Lord, and he ended up leaving uh, Catholicism for another faith tradition. But one of the things that he really railed on was, no, we should not fear God. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's an awe or it's a wonder. Um, and, and he really identified Catholicism as being a, a religion that was afraid of God and not a friend of God. So I, I can't tell you how excited I am, even just jumping right into this, to have this topic be on a day where I'm actually getting to host. I think the Lord has something in store for me today. Yeah, the Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Absolutely. So you, you just want to be, begin us and tell us what, what the fear of the Lord is, a, a, certainly from a, a, a Catholic perspective? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, by the way, um, from your friends in the South here in South Dakota. <laughs> um, the weather is beautiful here as well, so we're certainly rejoicing down here in the, in the lovely weather. Well, and, and your governor calls it the warmer Dakota, which always, you know, gets me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, which isn't saying a whole lot, because <laughs> January is still cold whether you're in North Dakota or South Dakota or winter in general, so... Yeah, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Fear of the Lord, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It is misunderstood so many times because I think in our society today, just in general, we have this idea that fear is a bad word in and of itself, that, that the, the concept or the definition of fear always uh, casts a negative light on things. But even just aside and, uh, from the fear of the Lord idea, you know, there is such a thing as healthy fear, even on a psychological level. You know, for example, if I'm driving down the highway in my vehicle and there's a, uh, it's a two-lane road and I see a semi and another lane start to swerve toward me as I'm approaching, you better believe I'm going to have fear. And fear is a healthy thing because what it does is it activates my body, it activates my adrenaline, and it causes me my reaction time to accelerate. And so I'm able to take evasive maneuvers so that I can keep my vehicle safe, I can keep myself safe, and anybody who is traveling with me. So fear can actually be a, a positive response 
into a, a situation. Um, so just even on a psychological level, there is such a thing as a healthy fear. Of course, there's unhealthy fear, too, which paralyzes us and prevents us from doing God's will. It paralyzes and prevents us from being fully alive and fulfilling God's mission in our life. But with respect to fear of the Lord itself, um, I think it's misunderstood in the sense that some people, when they hear that term, they think it's this kind of slavish fear or primal fear, almost as if we're cowering in a corner uh, because a monster is chasing after us, you know, type of thing. Right. Uh, and, and that's what we need to really debunk, is that idea. Rather, uh, fear of the Lord is not this terror or panic, like when we have a vivid nightmare or if we might be, uh, God forbid, chased by a, a violent criminal uh, in a dark alley. Fear of the Lord really, first of all, is a profound reverence, a profound awe for the majesty of God. And we have that because we recognize that without God, we would not even be here in the first place, right? So God, God created all things. God created the universe. He created us, and he continues to hold us in existence at this very second. You know, I remember a, a, a philosophy professor once saying that if God stopped thinking about us, even for a second, we would cease to exist. So wrap your, wrap your mind around that one this morning. Yeah. Um, so it's this recognition that without God, we can do nothing. Uh, and that creates this sense of, of, of profound reverence and awe in us, that we cannot generate our own lives, we cannot sustain our own lives, but it is God that, that does all of that. So that would be the first point I would make about it. Uh, the second point I would make is that this gift of fear, and we might call it a holy fear, you know, maybe that would help if we refine the language a bit and said it's a holy fear of the Lord. Uh, it really causes us to recognize, okay, um, maybe I have sins in my life. Maybe I have not recognized that God is the source and summit of my life, and I've strayed away from Him. So I need to in a sense, have sorrow for my sins. So the fear of the Lord, this awesome, this reverence and awe, causes me to have a sorrow for my sins because I recognize, okay, I've rejected this God that I, that I ought to love, the God who loves me so much. And it, it really, it's positive in the sense that it causes me to not only have sorrow for my sins, but then to repent and to go to confession, to confess those sins, to be forgiven, to be restored. And then, of course, we want to uh, try to avoid those sins again. Um, but it's really a sense, uh, not so much that I'm breaking a commandment per se, you know, like I'm breaking this arbitrary rule, but rather I, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting the God whom I love in a similar way that a child feels bad. A young child might feel bad if he or she hurt his parents' feelings. You know, the child feels bad um, because the parents are hurt and the, parent, the child knows that the parents are, are so dear to, to this child. So um, that's why... When we pray the act of contrition, for example, we say, I detest my sins because of your just punishment, O God, but most of all because they offend you, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love, right? So that's uh, what fear of the Lord stirs us to do something positive. Um, and there is a sense in a fear of the Lord that uh, we do recognize that at the end of the day, uh, we will have to be accountable to God, and um, we will have to make an account of our lives and how we lived our lives, how well we loved, how faithful we were, and that there, is a, there is a value in that. You know, sometimes maybe we think of God as a pushover, you know, this idea of God as, well, if I just, you know, do a few things well, then uh, that's all there is to the Christian life. And it's, 
It's really about living in God's love and constantly responding to God's love and knowing that it's God that allows us to do that in the first place. So, so those are some, I guess, introductory comments I'd make about fear of the, of the Lord. No, no, that was, and that was very good, too. I was, as you were kind of talking, I was kind of thinking about the, the response of not living up to God's expectations. And the way that I usually phrase this, Father, with my own children at home is, you know, God is, is the perfection of everything that's good. So love, justice, beauty. When you are in some area of life and you hear someone say something like, this is beautiful, or you see the moon uh, at night when it's really super large and it, and it kind of makes you awestruck and you kind of stand there and wonder at its beauty. Like, those are the greatest moments, those greatest feelings that we have in our life when those things are present. So imagine a world in which none of those things existed. Imagine a world where there was no goodness, there was no beauty, there was um, you know, no truth, and, and there was no relationships, there was nobody else there. You were just completely isolated from life, from everything that was good. What would be your first response to that? And I think the first response would be fear. <laughs> oh yeah. my, I, I've got no protection, I've, I've got no nothing, there's nothing good here. What, what am I going to be able to do? And the answer, of course, is nothing. So without God, there is a, a, a real, uh, I, want, I, don't, I don't know if natural is the right word, you can correct me here, Father, if I'm going in a, in a way I shouldn't, but this, this natural response to the absence of God is fear. And so when we do separate ourselves from God, I think the, the, the natural response we have, kind of like the, the, the vehicle you described on the two-lane road that's, that's coming toward us, is fear. We, we're afraid of being apart from God, and we've literally chosen ourselves through our sin to deliberately be away from God. That, that, to me, fear seems like the natural response to that. Right, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Uh, with any time there's an absence, uh, an absence of, of goodness, an absence of awareness of an ab- absence of goodness or beauty or truth, then it does leave this, this vacant feeling, and fear is, is e- easily uh, filling that then at that time, um, because all being is good, and perfect love casts out all fear. I'm reminded of that quote. Yep that if we're filled with the love of God and we're filled with the love of neighbor, then fear does not have a, a, a room to really grow and exist. And I think, too, fear of the Lord really puts our priorities in order because we recognize, uh, yes, there are those around us whom we are called to love and have friendship with. Uh, having said that, the most important relationship to, to foster and to maintain and to grow in is our relationship with God. If God is not first in our lives, then uh, we have uh, a diff- we have, we're going to have a problem. Because at the end of the day, when when our lives are over, it will not be our peers who judge us. It will not be our relatives who judge us. It will be God. You know. So um, I just think it's so important to keep that in mind that that is our our priority to, to that love of God and and to grow in our relationship with God. And I I think um, you know Pope Francis I I. I came across a really beautiful quote from him on this idea of fear of the Lord, and I'd just like to, to read that if I could. Yeah, yeah, please. Too long. He said, and I think it's really beautifully put, he said, this is the fear of God, abandonment into the goodness of our Father who loves us. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. He makes us feel like children in the arms of our Daddy, with the wonder and joy of a child who sees himself served and loved by his Father. Therefore, this great gift of fear of the Lord allows us to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Trinity. 
So I just think that's a, a beautiful way of putting it. It's, it's not a fear in which we feel like it's a master-slave relationship. It's a fear in which we have this beautiful, profound, and loving respect for our Father, just as we would our natural parents who loved us and nurtured us. Yeah. Well, I can definitely tell you growing up with my father, uh, a farmer, a rancher, a, a tough all-around cowboy, I definitely had some fear growing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And And... You know, I certainly don't want my own children to fear me per se, but you're darn right, I want them to fear what their father is capable of in the sense that I want them to have high character, treat your mom well, treat your siblings well, support the family. And if that doesn't happen, there are going to be negative consequences. Um, And coming on the other side of this break, we're going to talk a little bit more with uh, Father Weber about uh, the God of the Old Testament and some fear things in there that I think uh, you'll find quite interesting as we delve more into this topic with Father. Uh, We'll come back on the other side of this break, and you're listening to Real Presence Radio across the Real Presence Radio Network. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. How can you know for sure that your loved one is in heaven? Well, the short answer is you can't. I'm Father Chris Alar, but you can have confident hope that they are saved because no matter when or how they died, even by suicide, you can pray and make sacrifices now to still help them accept God's final offer of grace. Jesus told St. Faustina, call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you pray with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. Wow, if you desire heaven for someone, God desires it even more. So do your part to help them get there. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. God's blessings to you all. And as all of you out in Radioland listen to Real Presence Radio, what a great gift it is for every one of us. As we're in the car traveling, that we learn something about our love for Jesus, something about the great gift He has given us through His holy family, which is the church. Or we also get to find something out more deeply about our own self that we come to know that we are made in God's image and likeness. And the great gift that we have is made and loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So continue to listen to this wonderful radio station. We need to support it in every way so that this beautiful gift of the gospel message can be spread throughout where all of this is heard and that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you all in his love. Have a wonderful day and keep listening to Real Presence Radio. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Radio. My name is Nathan Sather. I'm your host today. I'm joined in this segment by Father Robert Woolweber. We're talking a little bit about the fear of the Lord. And uh, this next portion that we kind of delve into a little bit, I'm very excited about because this is my probably my favorite Old Testament conversation that gets brought up, especially with uh, some ecumenical dialogue with 
uh, non-Catholic Christians about how the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry, and then Jesus showed up, and suddenly, you know, Jesus is wearing a tie-dye shirt, and he's got long hair, and he's got the peace signs or whatever else. And now, thankfully, God God is loving, but they, they miss the inherent contradiction that God can't change. And, uh, and so I'm really interested to see what you might have to say about this, Father. Yeah, this is a very fascinating topic, actually. Um, and, as you, and I think you caricatured it well. <laughs> Jesus with the, the hippie, the tie-dye shirt, and the peace, love, and all that. Um, and the God of the Old Testament being a wrathful God. Um, what's interesting is uh, that belief is unfortunately present, and um, th- that there's this inconsistency between the God of the Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, there was a heresy that actually developed um, called Marcionism, and Marcionism said that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were literally two different gods. Okay, so just to, to bring this to its uh, extreme, so uh, this figure, uh, Marcion, did not deny the existence of God in the Old Testament, but he just thought he was a secondary God, a wrathful God, who is inferior to the, to the all-loving and all-forgiving God found in Jesus Christ. And then he even rejected that the Old Testament scriptures were uh, authoritative, and he just thought the New Testament was authoritative. So... Uh, but yeah, that's this idea is the old te- in the Old Testament, God is a God of wrath and fury, and in the New Testament, God is a, a God of compassion. But it's the same God, right? It's just God can't change. He's the same uh, always, yesterday, today, and, and forever. But I think that it's important to recognize that God is both merciful and just, and it depends on what's called for. You know, we were talking about families and parents. You know, if a if a young child is about to swallow uh, rat poison from an attractive-looking box, do you just allow the child to do it out of uh, a sense of being nice? Do you, need, you know, do you say, "Oh, that's nice. He's going to eat that rat poison. I don't want to stop him. I want to be nice and <laughs> kind and gentle." Or do you say, "Wait a minute, stop! Don't eat that. It's going to harm you." And by the same token, maybe uh, your child is going through a very difficult time. Maybe the child had a set personal setback of some kind, and. So what's called for there? Well, gentleness. I mean, you don't want to double down on the on the child's uh, uh, a fallout. You don't want to double down on his bad feelings. So you encourage the child. So it's kind of God is a, in a beautiful way, like in the, a parent, and he he knows when to uh, show mercy and justice. But I would also say, you know, it's not even true that that the God of the Old Testament is simply a wrathful God, and the God of the New Testament is simply a God of gentleness and mercy, because. If we look at the God of the Old Testament, sure, there was a God of justice in the Old Testament. For example, he, there were consequences for Adam and Eve when they, were, when they had disobeyed God. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And sure, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. You know, God allowed them to wander uh, in the desert. But we also look at the mercy that God showed in the Old Testament. For example, he used Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. He gave them man in the desert. Uh, on their journey. He gave them water from the rock at Meribah. He gave Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars. And then Job was remedied from his affliction. Sure, he went through them, but God answered Job. And God cured Tobit of his blindness. God answered Hannah by giving her a child, Samuel. So uh, even David himself recognized God's mercy. And that's where we get the Psalm uh, 106, where uh, David says in the Psalms, Give thanks to, unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So this is from the Old Testament that this is being said, not the New Testament. So the God of the Old Testament was certainly a God of justice, but also a God of mercy. And I think that's, uh, 
we, we have an incomplete understanding if we don't uh, recognize that. Yeah, and, I, and the way I like to take it, too, is there's countless examples of God's mercy in the Old Testament, just from what I call the children's stories, right? So you, you mentioned Moses, right? How many times <laughs> did God have to tell Pharaoh, let my people out of Egypt? How many plagues did God have to send before they would, they would convert, right? Um, one time? Would one time be enough, right, for, for the all-holy right. God who created heaven and earth? One time should be enough, right? He didn't, he didn't wait one time, or two, or three, or four, or five, or seven, or nine, ten plagues. There were ten plagues because Pharaoh refused to listen to all ten of them, right? Exactly. And it's, that, that's, it, it's not showing you, like, it's not like God is, is holding out in Scripture, like, look at how merciful I am. But it's a demonstration, right? There has not been one time in my entire life, Father, where I've given my children ten times to be obedient. <laughs> they might, on a good day, get to three. They have never gotten to four, right? Ten times. Ten times God, sh- or I should yeah. say, nine times God showed mercy, right? And, and I, I don't remember exactly where the quote is, but it's somewhere early in Genesis there where God talks about the, the other nations around Israel and how... God didn't bring his wrath to them because they had not yet completely turned away from him. As if he was saying, I will not act until they're all away from me, until they've all turned their hearts against me. Then I will be forced to act. But until then, I will withhold my justice until that moment. And that, I think, makes sense of all the other things God does later, where, you know, go into a land that I've showed you and wipe them out and, and all those other things that, that right. seem so foreign to us now. Um, but, but again, the analogy I use there is, is cancer. If there's an evil cancer in your body, you don't tell the doctor, well, you know, just leave some of it behind. As long as you get most of it, I think I'll be okay. If, if something is evil and wrong, you want to wipe it out so you can start clean and be healthy the way you're supposed to live. Uh, that, that in no way seems, in my mind, that that makes God somehow evil or, or, or wrong or archaic and now somehow we've advanced beyond God's thinking. I think half the problem is we don't go back to God's thinking and, and challenge our own modern beliefs against what God wants. Sure. Yep. I would agree with that. I think too, I mean, I just look at the example of Adam and Eve's disobedience. I mean, that, that incurred an infinite debt against God. I mean, right then and there, God could have said, okay, I gave humanity a chance and look what they did. I mean, right out of the chute, right out of the gate, they disobeyed me a, a direct command and so if you look at just the history of the people of god he gave them numerous opportunities and, and he showed mercy numerous times in any one of those times he could have said okay that's it i'm calling it quits <laughs> i was like I, I give this i give this experiment of humanity if you will a chance and it is yeah. it's failing and so I'm, I'm just done with it i'm done with this and i'm going to start from scratch or i'm just going to end it i'm going to end humanity on the earth but God is loving mercy again in the Old Testament uh, is is shown uh, is shown very clearly, and then you know if I might just go to the New Testament just brief briefly yeah. in our remaining time, if you look at the God of the New Testament, it's interesting because we started off the the caricature is that Jesus was just simply merciful or gentle, you might say. Well, in our gospel reading from yesterday, what did we hear? You know, he made a whip out of cords, and he drove the money changers out of the temple, and he said, stop making my father's house a marketplace. Yep. So Jesus was not a, just a nice guy, if you will. In fact, niceness is not a virtue at all. Uh, rather, our Lord was out of love, was showing, okay, the most important thing is 
reverence for my father and love for my father and, and not the God of money. Uh, so our Lord was not afraid to be stern, and our Lord also talked about entering through the narrow gate, right, uh, through the narrow gate, and he says that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but, the, but small or narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. And we may remember also he talked about the sheep and the goats, you know, and um, the importance of practicing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, because whatever we do to those around us, we do, we're doing to the Lord, and, and there, is a, uh, there are consequences for doing it and consequences for not doing it. So I think uh, if we look at the New Testament, the Lord is, it shows a certain firmness, uh, if you will, um, not just a, a gentleness. Yeah, and I, I talked with a man one time who I'll just say has a very difficult job, and uh, he asked to meet with me one time, Father, and just railed on how Christianity is not for him. He's sick of his wife trying to force this stuff on him because he's a man's man, and people don't understand what he has to see and the evil he sees in life, and, and there's no way that, that there's a place for him inside this thing called Christianity. And I, I just smiled, and I think I kind of made him upset to begin with. Uh, with my smile, but I was like, you, you don't know the Jesus I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Jesus I met, uh, who, who stands up for things and goes into the, the, the very pits of darkness to, to save people from the evils that are, are surrounding them. And, uh, you know, by the time we left that conversation, it was the first time he'd seen Jesus outside of probably a church bulletin that invited him to a Bible study that had pink and pastel colors all over it, trying to entice him to come to this thing. He literally thought he was too much of a man to be a follower of Jesus. Sure. I mean, that's, that's how we've caricatured Jesus in our own time to our own, our own detriment, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a certain vir- there was a, there was a virtue in Jesus, a manliness in Jesus, and he was uh, not afraid to show that in, in the various ways. And, um, of course, we have the gentle Jesus, too, when, you know, those who are sinners, uh, obviously... He consoled them. He would tell them not to sin again, of course, but he would console them. He would be gentle with them, and he would say things like, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. And he says, I am gentle and humble of heart. And so we do have the Jesus, who was very gentle and and loving and comforting. But I guess my point is just to say that it's false to say that we can generalize and say the Old Testament God was one of wrath and the New Testament God, the God of Jesus Christ, was one who was just gentle and soft-spoken, you might say, or soft and acting. Rather, God is, a, God is a God of love, and love sometimes means being firm. Love sometimes means being gentle. Uh, there are many things, as a, and again, as a parent, you, you know this. Uh, all parents know this. So it's really not either or. Just like it's, you know, I call it the Catholic thing. Others call it the Catholic <laughs> thing. It's not either or. It it's is both and. and. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and I would also kind of add on to that uh, a little bit with this this God thing is, if God was that way before and now he's great, well, why can't he just change again? Why is heaven this place of infinite bliss and, and charity and love if God could change again? That sounds like hell more than it sounds like heaven to me. Right, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good insight, yeah. <laughs> well... We're uh, going to end this segment, Father. We thank you so great. much for, for joining us, and you did a great job as always, and we just thank you so much, and please uh, pray for our listeners. Well, yeah, God bless you good folks in North Dakota and all those listening on Real Presence Radio. It was a joy to be with you today. Yeah. 
And coming back on the other side of the break, we will talk some spiritual impact boot camp with Father Scott Trainer again from South Dakota. You're listening to Real Presence Radio across the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 